0: Hey guys, this is Dale Tedder and welcome to the Walking Points Podcast for this week where we are helping you faithfully follow Jesus Christ in every sphere of life. Last week we began a three-part series on what it means to be a kingdom or worldview disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, what does it mean to have your faith impact every sphere of your life? Just like our tagline, that we want to help you follow Jesus in every sphere of life. That's really what it means to be a kingdom disciple of Jesus Christ or a worldview disciple. So, last week we began to unpack that a little bit and introduce some key ideas. This week we're going to be looking at uh, the second part, which is uh, to narrow in on the idea of what it means to be salt. Jesus says that we are salt, salt of the earth. What exactly does that mean? What does it not mean? Uh, What should that look like in our lives? We're going to take a look at that. So guys, thank you for checking out the podcast for today. Here we go. Hey guys, if you are old like I am, then you grew up with uh, reading Peanuts comic, comic strip, watching Charlie Brown Christmas and things like that. And uh, there's a Peanuts cartoon that shows Peppermint Patty, some of you will know who that is, talking to Charlie Brown. And she said, guess what, Chuck? The first day of school, uh, it's the first day of school, and I already got sent to the principal's office. And it was your fault, Chuck. He said, my fault? How could it be my fault? Why do you say everything is my fault? And she said, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? You should have been a better influence on me. Well, while Peppermint Patty was trying to Pass the buck on to Charlie Brown. She was in a real sense, right? And that is that we should be a good influence for those people in our lives, especially our friends and our family. You know, we all have uh, an influence, whether it's good or bad. We all have influence in the lives of other people. Lots and lots of people are watching us. And the question is, what do they see when they look at your life? Uh, Here's another bad pastor's illustration for you, but it makes the point It says, I heard about a minister who was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine, and as he was pounding away, he noticed that a little boy was watching him. The boy didn't say a word, and so the preacher kept working, thinking that he would just leave, but he didn't. So, pleased at the thought that his work was being admired, the pastor finally said, well, son, trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? No, no. The blue boy replied, I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. Well, <clears throat> whether it's this obvious or not, people are watching you. And the question, once again, is what do they see when they look at your life? Uh, because what you uh, do, uh, what people see in your life, how you behave outwardly, things you say, uh, things like that, they really do make an influence in people's lives. Uh, so, we ask the question, you know if you're a parent, what do your children say uh see uh what do your coworkers see what uh about your next door neighbor? What kind of life do they see as they look at your life? Uh, what does your spouse see uh or what does your church family see? Just to name a few? You get the idea <clears throat> they they see a walking uh the question is do they see somebody who's a walking talking hypocrite? I mean, do they just see a life filled with inconsistencies and Uh, seemingly an unrepentant life that says one thing but is living another way? Or do they see someone desperately trying to please God with everything they say, do, and think? Not always succeeding, mind you, but always trying. I just read something on Facebook uh, yesterday, in fact, and it was somebody who really is considering where they are in their own faith because of, in their mind, whether it's right or wrong is not even really the point of this, but in their mind they're seeing a lot of inconsistencies in Christians with the way that they've responded uh, to this racial crisis that we have going on in our country right now, and this person's wondering uh, whether or not they're even a Christian anymore because of what they what they deem as hypocrisy in the lives of Christians. And while you may choose to think, well, that person maybe doesn't understand uh, you know, what the Christian faith is all about, maybe they don't understand, uh, you know, that there's lots and lots and lots and lots of kinds of Christians in this country, let alone the whole world, and maybe they're overgeneralizing, and, and all those might be valid points, but another point is this, they're looking in the lives of people they see as Christians, and they're seeing these Christians falling short of where they think they should be. Anyway, that's just food for thought there as we get moving on. Uh, But it's tough. Um, There's none of this removes the fact that we have an influence in the lives of people. And uh, that's, for good or for bad, that's just a reality, that we have an influence. And that's why it really is so essential to understand that just as our faith is for all of life, well, our influence as followers of Jesus Christ should also impact affect every sphere of our lives at home in you know in your private life in your family life in church life in your community life in your workplace wherever it may be who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ should influence every one of those particular areas. Now last week uh, we began taking a look at what I was calling kingdom discipleship or worldview discipleship, and I really don't want you to get hung up on either one of those phrases. Really, it's just being a disciple. Uh, I'm just trying to give it a little name there, just something to kind of hang your hat on so you can better understand what I'm talking about. But please don't let that confuse you. We are really just talking about what it means to be a disciple or a follower or a student of Jesus Christ. Uh, But anyway, I tried to make the case last time that our Christian faith is for all of life and not just the bits and pieces of it. Not our favorite parts, not just the easy parts, but all of it. And so we saw that in the Beatitudes, those first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lays out what we might call the norms of his kingdom. The norms of his kingdom. And those norms, as I mentioned last time, are really the, the only true counterculture for today. It was after Jesus told us that we are to be poor in spirit. Uh, We are to mourn over sin. We're to be meek and we're to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We're to be merciful, pure in heart. We are to be peacemakers. And then Jesus leads right into saying, you are salt and light. And so he shifted uh, his attention and our attention from what every one of his followers must look like to who we are in our outward witness and influence in this world. In other words, he tells us who we are and then who we must be as a, watch, a watching world looks on. As it's, uh, it's been said many times that uh, our faith may indeed be uh, uh, personal, That is something that means a lot to us by ourselves, but it's by no means private. That if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you can't um, say, "Well, this is just my faith; I keep to myself." I know that's the way. You know, if you watch a lot of old movies and stuff, I mean, you get the sense that that's what a lot of people at one time believe—that it's private; it's just something between you and God. Uh, It's to really. You should be able to go through life without anybody even knowing about your faith, and that's just not what the uh, the biblical witness is on that. It may be uh, personal for sure, but it's not private. It's not something you just keep to yourself, not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So that catches us up to today. Uh, Jesus calls us salt and light, and he commands that we go out and live as salt and light. Now, as I mentioned this week, we're going to take a look at the first one, what does Jesus mean when he calls us the salt of the earth? <clears throat> so let's take a look at verse 13. In verse 13, Jesus says, "You are the salt of the earth." But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it expect uh, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except what? Except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, to understand what Jesus meant by salt, we're going to have to to learn a little bit about salt in the first century, which I know you're excited about and you hoped all week long we would be talking about salt in the first century of the ancient world. But I want you to notice something first. Jesus said that we are salt. He's not telling us to go out and be something that we are not. We are to go out into the world to be something that we already are. That's the first thing I want you to catch. Now, this is familiar language in the Bible. Uh, Elsewhere, we're we're, we're told that you are holy, now go and be holy. And so, Jesus tells us to go out and be who we already are. Now, uh, those uh, who see us in the world need to see who we already are. When we want who we already are to reflect who Jesus tells us we are, and that's the point. Okay, When people see my life, I want them to see Jesus Christ reflected brightly in my life, uh, vividly in my life, so that they're not really seeing my life, they're seeing the life of Jesus Christ being lived in me and through me, so hopefully that they'll be attracted to that to give glory and praise to God. All right, back to salt. <clears throat> in the ancient world, salt was used primarily, not exclusively, but primarily as a preservative. Excuse me, since they they obviously didn't have deep-freeze refrigerators, the people used salt to preserve much of their food. Now, that's not a totally foreign concept to us today, is it? Uh, There is a traditional delicacy in South Africa known as biltong, I hope I said that right, which are small, thin strips of meat that have been salted and dried, maybe like beef jerky, I suppose. Anyway, long-distance travelers and past generations uh, carried biltong along with them. Uh, and, in fact, it was preserved so well, it didn't even have a, an expiration date. You know, you better eat this by such and such a date or it'll go bad. And the point's pretty clear. Uh, don't you think that, that Jesus is saying that we are to be salty, and that it's not, there's no expiration date on that. We are to be a preservative in our culture, and that does not go out of date. Uh, what Jesus is basically saying is this. He's saying that apart from his disciples, the world is turning ever more rotten. Uh, it's decaying. It's continually decaying unless it has a proper preservative taking action in it. And so our influence on the world, the effect that we are to have on the world as salt, is that of delaying or slowing down the moral and spiritual disintegration. If our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, if they actually conform to the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12 of Matthew 5, well then we can't help but be an influence for good in our culture. Without the influence of the gospel, the whole gospel for whole people, and not just the saving news of Jesus Christ, which absolutely that is central, but that's not the whole story. So without the the whole gospel for whole people, without that influence, society is going to suffer moral decay and become uh, putrid, uh, unfit for the consumption of, of good people. Now, there's another interesting use for salt that we find out about in Ezekiel 16.4. In that verse, it hints that there was a Jewish practice of rubbing newborn babies with salt. Um, Now, it's not likely that this practice was for ritual cleanness or cleanliness, but instead really more for hygiene. Uh, It was already understood that if you didn't pay attention to hygiene at the beginning of life, well, then sickness and even death could possibly result. So Jesus may have had that in mind as well. And if that were the case, and his application would be this, that we need to commit ourselves to being salt in our culture at the earliest possible opportunity. In other words, we don't come in after everything is really going bad and then try to influence, but we want to be there at the beginning, being a healthy, godly influence in the lives of, of those in our spheres of influence, those that we know and the rest of our culture. We need to be willing to pay whatever price needs to be paid in terms of how the world may respond to us. And, <coughs> excuse me, as we're learning, as we're learning, that can be pretty harsh. That can be a harsh response. Pardon, uh, pardon me for that cough right in your ear there. Um, anyway, it's important that if our lives are to make a moral impact, on others. Well, then we need to live as Christians among them, true Christians, not just Christians in name only, which is really what the word nominal means, but actual followers of Jesus Christ who are having a salt and light influence in every sphere of our lives. <clears throat> That's what we're talking about in verses uh, 11 and 12, because when we do that, there may be pushback from the world. And that's what Jesus is saying in verses 11 and 12. Listen to these words. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, If you are living faithfully as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you may very well get pushback from the world. And if you're going through this world and you're not getting any pushback at all, there's no persecution happening, it may mean, I'm not saying it necessarily means, but it may mean that you aren't really living as salt and light, that you are not being a constant influence for Jesus Christ in all the different areas of your life. It may mean that people don't even know that you are a Christian. Or, well, you're not one of those radical Christians. You're not taking yourself too seriously as a Christian. That may be what some people perceive. Well, there's another way that uh, salt is illustrated uh, in the Old Testament, and that's in Judges 9.45. We read that Abimelech defeated the city of Shechem, and then he destroyed the city, and then what did he do? He scattered salt over it. Now, the use of salt was um, not only symbolic, but also an effective action to render the ground infertile for the future. So it really was, you know, beating your enemy and then insulting them too. You know, not only are we going to beat you, but we're going to make sure you can never flourish again. We're going to cover, you know, all of your all of your ground, all the things you own in salt, so you can never. You know, it can never grow up here again, so it'll be useless for years and years and years to come. <clears throat> well, maybe this is what we as Christians are to do as well. When we take our stand for God in our culture, we want to make our culture, whether it's uh, friends at school, whether it's co-workers, whether it's teammates, whether it's our next-door neighbors, whomever it may be, we want to make the soil of a, a, a decaying culture we want to make that soil less fertile for ungodly influences. In other words, we want to make such a powerful influence in the lives of those different areas of our lives, those different spheres, those different uh, places where we have influence. We want to leave such a godly influence there that ungodliness cannot take root. Uh, one of my favorite uh, people from Christian history is a man named Richard Baxter, and he lived in the 1600s. And uh, in a little town, a very little town in England, he had a very thriving ministry there. And really, it wasn't just his church, but the entire community that was turned upside down for Christ while he was there. And then it was about 100 to 150 years later, uh, the famous evangelist George Whitfield went through there and said, I can still see the influence of Richard Baxter's ministry all these years later and that's really what we're talking about now it's really important to say you know we can't uh, we can't stop culture by ourselves from doing that but when we go and make a godly influence and other Christians are with us to do that we can have more of an impact Um, again that in itself won't help renew culture but it will make it more difficult Uh, for sinful attitudes, for sinful habits, for ungodly words to become the norm uh, among us. Uh, There was a pastor named G. Campbell Morgan, uh, and he was the famous former minister of Westminster Chapel in London. Those of you who are in the know might know that that's where Martin Lloyd Jones, the famous 20th century pastor, uh, preached. But uh, in uh, G. Campbell Morgan's book, How to Live. He told about a conversation that he had after he finished preaching one evening. He said a, a man approached him to tell him that he invited a fellow employee. Now, listen to this. He invited a fellow employee, one with whom he had worked for five years, to attend the worship service with him. He then said, "My suggestion came quite as, as quite a shock and surprise to my friend." He responded to my invitation by saying are you a Christian? And when I answered yes, that I am, he replied, well, I am too. Here we had worked beside each other for five years, and we never knew that we were both believers in Christ. Isn't that funny? And to the man's surprise, Morgan reported by saying, funny? No, it's not funny at all. You both need to be born again. Now, (laughs) I don't know that I would have responded that way. That must have been very sobering to that man. But I do get Morgan's point. It was inconceivable to to Reverend Morgan that two men could truly be saved and work side by side for five years and not be aware of their relationship as brothers in Christ. Maybe that describes you. Can you relate to that at all? Maybe you've worked in a place for... Five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, and maybe you've considered yourself to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. But could you see yourself in that illustration? Could someone else say, I had no idea that so and so was a Christian? Um, that would be something for you to pray about and ask yourself, gosh, you know, how am I doing when it comes to that? Anyway, got, anyway I mentioned last week that George Barna has shown us through all of his polling. Uh, that sadly, the church today is virtually indistinguishable from the rest of society, and, and he's not talking about being different in some superficial, external way. Uh, that some way that you might find, for example, in a legalistic church where they, you know, they don't dance, you know, or or, or things like that that seem to be real obvious. <clears throat> Uh, Rather, he's talking about the fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can and should make in how we live. And just to uh, add a more sobering point, in a lot of his recent books uh, and those of his associates that have been uh, written over the last, gosh, five or ten years, they're learning now it's not just the ethical, moral side of things, but it's even the theological beliefs, the things that ought to be no-brainers that Christians should definitely look different than the rest of the world. Even in these areas, Christians are looking the same as the world around them far too often. And so, from all appearances, the church today, uh, in far too many places, uh, isn't serving as the preserving agent that Christ said that followers of his ought to be. It seems the salt is losing its saltiness. And so in light of that, let me read verse 13 again. Matthew five thirteen says, You are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So what happens if the salt loses its saltiness? What happens then? Well, according to Jesus, it might as well be thrown out on the street, which was Uh, basically the garbage dump of the ancient Near East and just thrown out onto the street so it could be trampled by people walking by. Now, I read through a lot of commentaries when I was uh, first preparing this sermon a long time ago and as I've been reflecting on it since. What struck me is how much some scholars have made of this particular part of the verse, which almost seems like a throwaway part. And so the point was made in several different commentaries that salt is can't stop being salt. It can't be anything other than salt. And so in a real sense, it can't lose that aspect of its saltiness. So what's Jesus talking about? What does he mean then? Well, although salt can't lose its saltiness chemically, you know, as it actually is, um, it can become adulterated or impure or contaminated compromised so much that it doesn't have the same salty impact that it once had. If it becomes sufficiently mixed or diluted with sand, for example, the salt will no longer be useful as a preservative. It loses its effectiveness. And so what do you do with something that outlives its usefulness? Well, in the case of saltless salt, you throw it away because it's no longer any good. You see, the world is described in the Bible as fallen, uh, that's a phrase we use a lot, or sinful, but with the language of what we're talking about uh, in the Scripture today from Matthew 5.13, it's decaying, or it's rotting, and it's in need of help. And so it's with that backdrop that Jesus calls us salt and tells us to be salt. Now think about that for just a minute. Just like salt, Christians may seem small and insignificant. Uh, We as Christians in our culture, and our increasingly secularized culture, we may feel like we're powerless in a big culture like ours. And yet, like salt, we have the ability to influence every segment of it, to permeate the whole. You know, it's all too easy for us to become consumed with, with polling data Uh, We we sometimes despair that, you know, there aren't many of us Uh, We're not as powerful We're not in places where we need to be to make an influence But I really think that's to give in to Satan's lie That we can only be effective when we have large numbers A show of strength Powerful people in powerful places I mean, that really is a worldly way of thinking I mean, here's a question for you. How many disciples turned the mighty Roman Empire upside down? I love how the King James Version uh, translates Acts 17, verse 6. It says this. These, that is, these first Christian disciples that have turned the world upside down are coming here also. I mean, I want you to think about what that verse means. It's saying that this These first Christians, this little tiny band of no-names who were making their rounds in the Roman Empire, they were affecting everything they touched with the power of the gospel. One Bible commentator summed up the verse this way. He said, what a reputation these Christians had. The power of the gospel revolutionized lives, broke down all social barriers, threw open prison doors, caused people to care deeply for one another, and stirred them to worship God. Our world needs to be turned upside down to be transformed. The gospel is not in the busyness of merely improving programs and encouraging good conduct, but dynamically transforming lives. I just watched a little documentary, sort of like a docudrama, yesterday, in fact, on the life of George Mueller. Uh, he lived in the, ni- uh, the 19th century in England. He was originally from Germany, but he moved to England, and God placed it on his heart to start ministering to the orphans that he saw in England, especially in the Bristol area. And his impact, just like John Wesley a century before him, really helped turn that great city upside down and right side up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a great story. By the way, if you have Amazon, you can look that up. It's a great little docudrama. Uh, You know, it's, uh, it's not a Hollywood production by any means, but it was really well worth watching. And when I got finished, I said I was a better person for having seen that. It really did bless me, and I would encourage you to check that out. But that really is the kingdom discipleship that I'm talking about, that worldview discipleship. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us when he calls us salt. And though we may be small in number and seemingly powerless by human standards, we, just like George Mueller, or just like that little band of disciples, can still turn a culture upside down, or better, right side up, one person at a time, one family at a time, one workplace at a time, one community at a time, one church at a time. As the old saying goes, God plus one equals a majority. And really, the truth is, God by himself is a majority. The point is, we may feel like we are powerless in our own strength. And indeed, in our own strength, we are powerless. But with God, All things are possible. And if Jesus told us we are to be salt in this world, then we better behave like salt in this world. All right, one final story and I'm done. The original Cassius Clay, not uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, who changed his name from Cassius Clay, but the original Cassius Clay, he was an affluent slaveholder in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, he could have gone on and lived a very comfortable life, Uh, At least until the Civil War. But, Clay believed that chattel slavery was ungodly. And he also believed that society should be ordered on biblical principles. And so, what he did is he freed all of his own slaves, and then he tried to reach his fellow Kentuckians by publishing an anti-slavery newspaper. And when partisans of slavery threatened to destroy his printing press, he made a fort out of his three-story red-brick office. and He, he purchased, <laughs> I don't know that we should go this far, but he purchased two small brass cannons. He loaded them to the muzzle with bullets and slugs and nails, and then he stationed them at the entrance while his friends stockpiled muskets and Mexican lances. Now, those uh, measures forestalled any attack on his printing press. But then he wasn't content with that. He took the fight to the opposition and he went out before hostile crowds and he spoke about freeing slaves and how the world needs to be ordered on biblical principles and slavery was certainly against what scripture had to teach. And once facing his enemies, Clay held up a Bible and he said, To those who respect God's word, I appeal to this book. And then he held up a copy of the Constitution of the United States, and he said, to those who respect our fundamental law, I appeal to this book. And then he took out two pistols and a bowie knife and said, to those who recognize only force, dot, 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 you get the point. I am not recommending that in any way, shape, or form, but that's what he appealed to. But his writings show both a personal faith and a belief in the uses of reason within Revelation. He emphasized God's faithfulness, not only to individuals, but also to societies. And he argued that Christians should use their God-given intellects to structure society along biblical lines. And if you want to read more on that story, as well as uh, some other great stories that talk about the Christian worldview and the influence that Christians have had through society for 2,000 years. There's a great book by Marvin Olasky. Uh, I'll see if I can't include that in the notes uh, in this podcast. It's a great book. It's a little older now, but it's a fantastic book, and I would encourage you to go out and uh, to read that book. It'll really encourage you, especially, of course, if you're a Christian, you will really be encouraged to go out and live a salt and light as a Christian. But, Toward the end, uh, Clay wrote these words. He said, let true Christianity prevail and earth will become the foreshadowing of heaven. And there's a lot of truth in that because if we are the salt and light that Jesus tells us we are and if we're living a salt and light, if we look at the Beatitudes that tell us who the character of Christians are and then read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it really is a manifesto of the kingdom of God and how we are to live how our character supposed to be, the influence we're supposed to have. Uh, of course, all of the Bible is our manifesto. But in these three simple chapters, it really gives us some great insight into who we are in this world as salt in this particular case. So that's what it means to be kingdom disciples or worldview disciples. That's what it means to be salt in a society, to prevent or to delay society's moral and spiritual decay. In the Methodist Church, we have uh, something that's part of our, I guess, mission statement, and that is that we are, as Christian disciples, to transform the world under the lordship of Jesus Christ through the local church. And so that is, as each local church is serving as that salt and light uh, agency, uh, we really can make an impact as we submit ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ Uh, as we are being ruled and reigned by King Jesus, then we will live lives that impact wherever it is that we live. Now, odds are, if you're listening to this and you've made it this far, you're a Christian, and so for you, I appeal to Cassius Clay's first book. To those who respect God's word, well, then I appeal to the words of our Savior. You are the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So my question for you is this. Are you salty? Or, or have you lost some of your saltiness? Are you one of those Christians who looks identical with the world? The kind of Christian that George Barna was describing in, in his books. Maybe you've sort of lost your preservative power. Well, if that describes you, the good news is that God is not done with you yet. I mean, if you were actual salt, of course, we'd have to throw you out. You wouldn't be any good to anyone. But with God, all things are possible. And God can transform your life just as he has transformed my life. And that transforming work of God is not a one-time deal. It's a continual work of transformation and, and sanctification in our own lives so that we can grow perhaps even saltier and saltier and saltier and be that preserving, transforming agent in our culture today. So if you're going to do that, you need to start first with yourself. You can't tell everybody else how they are to live their lives if you yourself aren't being the salt and light that Christ has called you to be. Start with yourself, but don't be content to stay only with yourself. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. Now go out and be salt. Well, guys, thanks so much for checking out uh, the Walking Points podcast today. I hope that you are beginning to see uh, that we are, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, God calls us to be uh, salt and light in this world, Uh, those who make an impact, those who are influencers. Uh, That's a popular word right now. Um, In certain circles, uh, I'm a social media influencer. I'm a video influencer. Uh, you, You hear phrases like that, and people refer to themselves as influencers. Well, that's who we're to be as Christians. We are influencers. We are salt and light for the kingdom of God as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we are therefore to influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole person with the whole gospel. Uh, We certainly want folks to come to know Christ and have eternal life. Absolutely, that should be uh, definitely the banner that we wave. But it's more than that. It should impact their life here and now. We're not creating people who are just waiting to die so that they can go to heaven. But we are trying to be uh, a transforming influence in this world for the kingdom of God so that people can see the beauty of Uh, the goodness and the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him in this world and how our lives can flourish, truly flourish, only when we are following Christ. So guys, thanks so much uh, for listening to the podcast today. Next week, we are going to tackle what it means to be the light of the world. And we're going to take a look at that next week. You guys have a great week, and I'll see you then.